0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: Hello, my friends and badasses out there in the world. How are you this evening? Tuning in from Dublin all the way to Saskatoon, Dallas to Miami and San Jose. Barcelona to Barbados and way down there in New Zealand and Adelaide, Australia. It's great to have you listening to the Badass Counseling Show. We have a lovely um, (laughs) joiner to the actual studio, not just in the booth. We have the brilliant KC. KC, what do you have to say for yourself tonight?
2: How are you guys?
3: Well, I'm good. Rob? I'm great. Thank you very much, man. I realized something and I think your method is a lot quicker for men than women. I'm pretty sure about that. Really? Why is that? Well, because when it comes to going back to childhood, men are already there. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> Doing your best to perpetuate <laughs> nonsensical and unnecessary
3: myths. All right, It's Rob. your job to provide a counter-message.
1: <laughs> when i got to fight my own team to establish the message, I tell you. Nah, just kidding you, Rob. Love having Rob. He knows all. All right. Well, Rob, uh, you and Casey have done your work this week, as per usual, and you have found an interesting guest. We have so many uh, writing in to get on the show,
3: and you chose Jeff. So tell me about Jeff. All right, Sven. Jeff wrote in and said, Hey, Sven, first off, I want to say thank you for the podcast and all of the priceless advice I've used from many, many episodes to get me as far as I am now. I'm a 31-year-old man divorced for four years, which she initiated, with 50-50 custody of my kids. I'm struggling with a couple of failed relationships that feel as bad as the divorce. They all ended the same way, and I'm the common denominator. So is it me... I did the work for two years post-divorce, and I transformed completely, but cannot get out of this low place again with this latest on-again, off-again relationship. My mind is telling me to run, but my heart is begging me to stay. If you could, can you help me find the right lane towards my confidence and self-worth again? My kids need me to be 100%, and I'm struggling.
1: Jeff, great to have you on the show. Nice to be here. Thanks for coming on. Um, we're going to get after it right away here. You mentioned I'm struggling with a couple of failed relationships that feel as bad as the divorce. And then you go on to say, um, I did my work post-divorce, transformed completely, but cannot get out of this low place again with this latest on-again, off-again relationship. Talk about a low place, and you talk about struggling with a couple of failed relationships. Low place and struggling Uh, what is the worst part the, in one sentence or less, the absolute worst part about this low place that you are struggling with?
0: The low place now is knowing that, um, and I was told this, that I did everything right, but it's just, they don't want me kind of thing.
1: Okay. And, and just out of curiosity, how does that feel? Give me a feeling word. I got two pissed and confused. Pissed and confused. Fair enough. And the thing you're most pissed about is what in one sentence or less? If
0: everything was right, why isn't it me?
1: Fair enough. Um, You've maybe heard me mention on the show, and this may not be the case in this situation, but I know in all the years when I was single between my uh, marriages and and then since uh, from the marriage then to my present relationship, which was about 10 years, I dated a lot of people. And I would go on dating websites and, you know, I had my certain criteria. What do they do for a living? It matters to me how somebody invests, you know, 40 hours a week is a pretty big deal. Uh, it says something yeah. about them or, you know, how they look or, or they, you know, funny or whatever. And somebody could look great on paper. And not only that, we get there on the first date and they're great in person. I mean, just like witty and give me shit back, you know, they're not just a wallflower, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. I like a little bit of neurotic, you know, whatever. And all everything's in place. But for whatever reason, I didn't feel the click. I didn't feel the chemistry. Nothing wrong with them. You know, they're just lovely. And the truth is, I know for a fact that there have been plenty of people over the years, women over the years, that I've been out on a date or three dates with, and they say, you know, you're great. You know, I like this. I like this. But I just don't feel the chemistry. Which is sort of what I hear, and you can correct me if yeah. I'm I'm missing something. That's sort of what I'm hearing here: is that you did everything right, you know, you're cool and everything. I just don't feel it now. What am I missing?
0: Well, the chemistry was there for the whole
1: part of it for them,
0: for them. Everything, everything was reciprocated like to a T. It's okay. equal parts input on both parties. Okay, and then
1: poof, they were just done. Just done. Okay, uh, let me ask you this: You said that uh, you've been divorced for four years, which she initiated. That tells me um, she initiated. That tells me that you did not want the divorce. Is that accurate or inaccurate?
0: It was accurate. We were kids. We shouldn't have been married.
1: I see. Wait, you did want the divorce? You say no, she? In- I,
0: at the time, I didn't. But over the years doing the work, I realized that was the best bet for us to raise two healthy
1: kids. That makes sense. And I love your orientation that in the end, it's about the kids. I I love that, Jeff. Love that. We
0: co-parent amicably now, like back and forth. There's no schedule. It's just whatever the kids are happy type of thing. I
1: I love you so much. And I love your ex-wife too, that you guys keep it on the divorce and you don't let your own you know animus and anger and hurt and bs get in the way I think that's fantastic Dude, but I
0: can walk into their house I'm friends with her fiance
1: That's cool That's cool so. Um my uh my girlfriend we've been together 10 years and they share a child an adult child and uh the father you know he regularly spends some holidays with us good guy um Canadian actually French Canadian and very trustworthy people, although I never know what they're saying when they're speaking French, so I don't know how much I really <laughs> can, tr- no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, but good guy, and he does spend holidays, and he is French-Canadian. Anywho, how, what you just said was that the relationship, in retrospect, the relationship really should have ended or didn't need to last, or it ran its course. Yeah. Uh, is, is that safe to say? Yeah. I see. So then what you're acknowledging is that some relationships end. Yeah. Okay. Isn't there an overlap with that concept onto the existing ones that you're having now? You said you've had, I believe, uh, four, um, a couple of failed relationships that feel as bad as the divorce all ended the same way. Um, And we're asking about the place you are struggling with and that the chemistry was there. And then poof, they were done. And you say, you know, it doesn't make sense and so forth. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It sucks when you're invested, right? I mean, it sounds like you were invested and you're hurting that they bolted. And the truth is, one of the ugly truths of life is that relationships end. My parents were married for 67 years, whatever it was, and their relationship ended because dad died. I mean, setting aside, you know, heaven and all that, I'm just saying here on earth, they're like, okay. And I realize that's a bit extreme, but the bottom line is is the problem was that you had your heart invested and you got your heart hurt when they ended it when you didn't want it ended. Isn't that what we're really talking about? Oh, yeah. All right. And so let me ask you this. Apart from the confusion of why, as in what's wrong with me, which is exactly what you said. You said, is it me? Apart from that question... What hurts the most? Because you said it hurts as bad as the divorce. Direct quote. So, what is it about it that hurts the most or hurts just, so badly?
0: It ties into like my abandonment problems from childhood that I've dove into hard. hmm. Because it just kind of feels like people take off.
1: And not trying to be a dick or anything. But then when you say, uh, I did the work for two years post divorce and I transformed completely. Yeah you technically didn't transform completely because you still have the issues regarding abandonment. Is that safe to say? Oh, absolutely. All right. Nothing wrong with that. No judgment. I just wanted to make sure I understood completely.
0: Now this brought some shit up from the depths that I didn't realize I didn't quite get to.
1: Okay. And the abandonment issue, if you were to put it in your own words, without sort of all the jargon, um, what words would you use to describe your abandonment issue? Is it how would you characterize it in a sentence?
0: Why couldn't I save
1: this? And the assumption then is obviously that you could have saved this or the belief that I could have the belief that fundamentally I did something wrong or failed to do something that the onus is on me. It couldn't be that they just ran out of love for me and that I'm not the only person they've run out of love for. I mean, let's be honest. Um, You know, you sort of, you still love your ex, but in terms of in love chemistry, you ran out of love for your ex, didn't you? A couple years later? Okay. So you acknowledge that that's a real possibility and it's legit and so forth. But you're assuming, and why couldn't I save this, that A, it could be saved, B, it should be saved, C, it was on you to save it. In other words, it couldn't just be that they just ran out of love for you.
0: Yeah, that's part of me being a total camel in these situations too.
1: And just for those uh, of you uh, who haven't read the book, there's a hole in my love cup. Jeff is referring to that. Go ahead, and Jeff, how do you f- summarize a relationship camel? How, put it in your own words.
0: You can give me a little bit, and I can take that for miles and lift every load you put in front of me for you.
1: Right. And okay. And so you acknowledge I've got the abandonment issue, and I've also I'm a bit of a relationship camel. I give and give and give and give and I only need a little bit in return. And uh, so you think that may be part of it as well in terms of why they left or something like that?
0: Yeah, I do, because I think I take care of things before I give them a chance to type of thing. Okay. If that makes any sense. I do that for everybody.
1: Well, Jeff, quite honestly, A, need more people like you in the world. I love that about you. And, uh, you know, I get the relationship camel thing because that's what I was in a couple of major relationships in my life when i was your age and younger i gave and gave and gave and the problem though isn't the giving the problem is that i didn't hold them accountable for giving love back to me in roughly equal proportion so there was always this fucking imbalance that i to your point i'm doing all the heavy lifting and you know she was happy to just take and then sort of as i aged now, I'm in a relationship where I, it's like a relationship I have with a couple of my very, very oldest friends. I can't outgive my girlfriend. She gives in different ways, some the same ways, but I can't outgive her. And it's the coolest fucking thing, right? To the point where it's annoying, you know, like yeah. on a Friday night. No, what do you want to do? No, what do you want to do? You know, it's a little dopey. Anyway, but the point is what do you think the reason is that you don't hold a woman accountable to You know, give to me, or why is it that you don't pull away a little bit if a woman isn't giving at the same level you are?
0: Oh, that spawns from childhood. I grew up with a single mom that just on her own accord couldn't catch a break because she caused most of it. But being a child, I never saw that until about eight, 10 years
1: ago. And so, what did I'm so I'm not tracking then. What did that condition you to believe about love, or how did that condition you to give, give, give? Are you saying that your mom expected you to give, 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 and then she would just take? Or what are we talking about here?
0: Yeah, I had to do everything. I mean, I've been raising my sisters since I was about eight years old. Wow. I had to take care of, I mean, in that time frame from eight to 12, my dad took off. My grandpa died. I didn't have a father figure. So I stepped up at the age of like eight or nine. And, And I had to provide... So it's been on me for the past twenty three years.
1: And when you say I had to provide, what are we referring to here?
0: Oh shit! I started working at fourteen. Started paying some bills for my mom. I gave her tax returns when I turned
1: eighteen. Like, wow!
0: I, I bought my sister a car. Bought her braces. I mean, I did all this shit.
1: You're a fucking hero, Jeff. You really are. I mean, that's it's beautiful. Unfortunately, a child shouldn't have to do pull that. No. And and what that means then is later in life, you have every right to make a course correction, a market adjustment, if you will, that you have every right. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep living that way. And that shit will burn you out when you're giving way more than you're receiving in advance. Let me ask you this question. What's the fear? If I, and maybe you've never framed it this way, maybe you have, but if you were to give less or if you were to pull back and expect the other person to give or just give at the roughly the rate that they give, What's your fear that if, if, you, if I don't constantly give, then what? If I don't constantly carry my girlfriend's burdens or my sister's burdens, what's your fear? What's the great fear?
0: See, I haven't thought of it like that.
1: I wish you would. Just take a swing at it. You could change your mind tomorrow. And maybe there is no fear at all, but indulge There's me, not- pretend, just pretend that there might be a fear. That if I don't give all this love and carry all these burdens, what might you fear happening? that nothing will happen at all. And by nothing will happen at all, you're you're not clothing and feeding your sister anymore. She can f- feed and clothe herself, right? So we're not talking about nothing will happen. We're talking about, so in a love relationship, that if I don't do everything, what? When you say nothing will happen at all, what do you mean by that in a love sort of relationship?
0: You won't get that kind of support. You won't get that affection. You won't get any of that, any kind of reciprocation that you would get I guess. And I haven't, the fear of them not initiating that kind of love.
1: Right. And what does it say that, so you, there is potential, you do have a fear then. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so what does it say um, to you about you if they don't initiate?
0: I'm a little too needy for my own good in those kind of situations. And I need to be able to provide that for myself at the start.
1: Sure. And uh, just out of curiosity, I'm gonna ask the question again, but maybe in a slightly different way. If you're in a relationship, and let's just pretend, let's say you were to just, you know, give to the degree they give, okay? Just sort of slow it down a bit. If you were to do that and they didn't initiate, so let's say you're the one always calling, you're the one always setting up the dates, you're the one always texting first, and and they respond back, but they don't initiate. What is your fear that if they don't initiate, then what? What do you feel? if they don't initiate
0: kind of feel cold and kind of out like on
1: the outside on the outside and uh is that would i be characterizing it accurately or inaccurately if i called being on the outside as sort of what unwanted yeah unwanted and so if i'm hearing you correctly if my fear then is if i'm not doing everything they may not want me Yeah. Right, right. In other words, and and this makes total sense, and Jeff, I couldn't even tell you the number of clients I've had over the decades who had love conveyed, they're defined by them, for them, at a young age as I'm loved when I'm doing versus versus just being, just who the fuck I am. And if you are conditioned at age eight to – you know, wipe your sister's butt or, you know, make her sack lunch or whatever. And by 14, you're paying bills and, you know, submitting tax returns and and so on and so forth and, you know, helping with mom's bills, et cetera. That's the child, even if it's never spoken to you, the child basically begins to define love as when I do things, then I get appreciation. Now you and I both know that's partly it's a male thing, particularly my generation. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's partly a male thing. A lot of women too, I'm not denying that. But uh you had it find uh from a very young age that your worth is tied up in what you do. It's very similar, as you read in the book, to the golden child in the home. Everybody thinks the golden child has it so sweet, but the golden child always has to perform. They're not allowed often to be who they really are. They're they have to be who they're expected to be, and then they get the Scooby snack. Then they get their, the spiff, the reward. So is it possible then yeah. that your, you believe, well, no, I'm going to frame it differently. What percent do you believe that your worth, your lovability is tied up in your doing, and what percent of your lovability is in just who you are, in your being? Is it 60-40, 40-60, 80-20, 20-80? How would you say it? What percent being... Makes you lovable and what percent you're doing makes you lovable.
3: It,
0: it used to be about a 90 10 doing to being, mm-hmm. but lately I've realized that it's, I'm getting it down to about the 70 doing. Good for I'm you. Trying to get the um, equal halves.
1: Yeah, or even more in the being and the doing yeah. potentially. Uh, let me ask you, what was the biggest thing that caused the shift from 90%? your worth is tied up and you're doing down to 70%. That's a significant reduction. What really was the biggest thing that caused that to happen? Uh, my kids. Specifically?
0: When uh, like just showing up to their moms to pick them up and they just see me as who I am and they get fucking excited. I'm like, fuck yeah.
1: <laughs> like, I'm dad.
0: Yeah, get over here.
1: Right, right. And of course, then you can see how it's very easy as a parent, which is fantastic. And I'm so glad that you're experiencing that. You know, for some people, it's their puppy that, you know, their dog that just loves them no matter what, you know, because that's yeah. what dogs do, right? Or children. And and that's fantastic. And I'm glad you're experiencing that. The problem is if we ever allow that to generate degenerate into, I'm getting all my love needs met through my kids, right? That's obviously, a, but you're not talking about that. No. Um, right. And so that's great that you've seen that reduction. What do you think? Uh, so th- going back then, the fear is that nothing will happen at all. Fear of them not, uh, initiating and what goes on, it wouldn't it be safe to say then what goes on inside of you when they're not initiating is do the, is she going to call? Is she going to call? Does she like me? Does she like me? And so forth. And so then if you're, if that voice is pestering you inside, that's a voice from way back there. That's that voice.
0: That 13 year old voice, that middle school voice just screaming.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. And in in a way, it's sort of woven up into what you called your abandonment issue and why couldn't I save this? And if there were a fear in your fear of being abandoned, if there's a fear of being abandoned, if there were a fear, what would you say your fear is? That if I am abandoned, then what?
0: that I won't be able to make it, but I know damn well I will be able to.
1: And you say won't be able to make it in terms of what? what I do you just mean? living
0: a happy life by myself.
1: Uh, well, the, didn't you just sort of name it right there? That in a way, the challenge to you is to figure out how to live a happy life by yourself first. The fear that, uh, in, in fear of being abandoned, is that I will be alone and if I am alone, all those voices come back saying, see, you're alone. See, you're no good. See, I'm not good enough. See, I didn't do enough. That I did something wrong. That There's something innately wrong. So the fear of being abandoned is really the fear of all those voices coming rushing up inside of you. And so you've probably maybe seen some of my videos that I've done on this. And I've addressed it to women, but it's very true of men too. And it was very true of me back when I was your age. And I I didn't I wasn't able to do it yet at your age. 31 um but it's a superpower it really is a superpower when you're no longer afraid of being alone yeah when you, i mean you can you still want a relationship not i'm not saying that the want has to be gone but this notion that i can be alone and not have that be a commentary on me as a person oh because right is it accurate or inaccurate to say that to some degree right now your being alone in your brain equates to, I'm not lovable. Something's wrong with me. I'm no good.
0: To a degree, right now, yes. I'm trying to get. It sounds weird, but I'm trying to get back to where I was two years ago after I did the work for the two years. Uh huh. Because I was just a cocksure, like eighteen year old again, a couple years ago after d- diving in like I did. Yep. And then the relationship fell on my lap, and then it. Well, everything snowballed. Well, no,
1: no, and and, and I get it. And, and doing the theories and doing the work of self-help and self-care and mental health and so forth is great when we have the time alone. But then where the rubber hits the road is then application, actually putting it into practice yep. in a relationship when all those fears come right back up because you got somebody to love right in front of your face. And now I got to implement it. Now I got to stand up. Now I got to tell my truth about how I'm feeling, and that doesn't feel so good when you don't call me, Susie. Well, hold on, Jeff. We're going to come right back to this right after a short break.
0: You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone, and you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to The Badass.
1: We are back with The Badass Counseling Show. I'm Sven Erlinson. I'm joined on the show this evening by Jeff, and we're talking about the fear of abandonment. We're talking about a relationship camel, someone who gives and gives and gives for fear that if I don't constantly give, you won't like me. You might leave me. And when you leave, all those voices, see, I'm unlovable. See, I did something wrong. See, I'm not good enough unless I'm doing more, more, more. And Jeff even said, when they leave... Or if I get left, the big issue that rings in his head is, why couldn't I save it? Why couldn't I save it? And that plaguing voice of, why couldn't I save it? What it's really saying underneath it is, I hate being alone. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this. Um, Why couldn't I save it? Why couldn't I save it? And the mind just runs and beats itself up, beats yourself up on that, Jeff. Jeff, I have an odd question for you. And uh, we've all sort of heard the question before. But I want to ask it of you anyway. And uh, just take your time, all right? And there's no right or wrong answer. Um, But if you were to just quiet yourself for a minute, and you can close your eyes, take a deep breath. And I want to know, do you like you? No,
0: but I like who I'm becoming.
1: Fair. But I like who I'm becoming. Okay, and then let me break it down this way take it one step farther, further, actually, what percent do you like you?
0: It's about a 70-30, like to dislike.
1: Oh, that's then how can you say you don't like you? That's more than half, Jeff. There's just those,
0: that 30% is kind of a heavy 30%, just with my little bit of insecurities going on and my rumination problems and stuff. I don't like that so far.
1: Okay, and rumination slash overthinking is generally an indicator of fear. We're constantly running scenarios in our head, gaming them out to the logical or illogical conclusion, and then determining how bad that would hurt if that conclusion came to pass. And so we're constantly sketching out ideas, and this is where we get tentative in life, afraid to put ourselves out there, whether it's career, relationships, parenting, you know, friendships, whatever, right? And so what would you say is the fundamental fear that drives most of your ruminating and overthinking what is the grand biggest fear that drives that do you think
0: it's being alone
1: Uh, there we are right back to that aren't we oh yeah were you alone a lot as a kid jeff oh yeah and how did it feel give me a feeling word mad sad bad glad frustrated excited exuberant peace calm melancholy give me a feeling word of how it felt when you were alone as a child Sad. Sad. And is it reasonable to assume that's precisely how it feels when you are left and you are alone again when a woman leaves you? Oh, yeah. I know. And just out of curiosity, what is, in one sentence or less, what is the message that runs through your head as the sadness wells up inside of you?
0: There hasn't really been one.
1: If there were one, what might it be? What is what is the thing that runs through you maybe about yourself or anything, if there were one. Uh, One
0: thing I say in the gym is I got to get better.
1: I got to get better. And would it be reasonable for me to assume, and if it's not, you correct me, I got to get better, in other words, because if I'm not better, I won't get someone, I won't be able to keep someone? No,
0: I got to get better for me.
1: And why do you got to get better for you?
0: I got two kids to raise and I can't take care of myself. I can't take care of anybody if I don't take care of myself.
1: And what's the biggest thing about you that needs to be better? Because you sound really, really freaking responsible. Obviously, you're, you know, you're taking care of your kids and so forth. And uh, what's the biggest thing then that needs to get better about you? You seem like a lovely person to me.
0: The strive for perfection, I guess. I just, I want everything to be right.
1: (laughs) Okay, fair. Are you lovable if they're not? Yeah. All right. Good to hear. Uh, So then I want to ask a follow-up question to my previous question. You said you like you 70%. What is the single biggest thing you dislike about yourself?
0: Being insecure in my own body.
1: And is it your body you feel insecure about? Or is it something else about you that you feel insecure about?
0: Yeah. Growing up, I was a really heavy set kid pushing 300 pounds. I've since lost 120 pounds. Holy cow. Good. And then not- I've gained about 25 of that back going to the gym and whatnot. So I have a lot to be confident about. Mm-hmm. But I still have that mental image of the fat kid.
1: Okay. Let me ask you dumb question, but are you a fat kid anymore? Absolutely not. Oh, so you like how you look. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, That's nice. Okay. Then let me ask you. So the biggest thing then that you presently like about yourself is, is not being comfortable in your own skin even though you like your skin itself so to speak you so like to speak yes yeah. you like your body but it's still the mentality uh, and what do you think the biggest thing is that needs to happen in order for you to finally be free of that terrible self-consciousness about your body and that belief that you're the fat kid and to not take it so
0: seriously stop hyper fixating on it
1: yeah. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know, doesn't have to be perfect. I'm a vain guy. I've been vain my whole life, started lifting when I was 11. And this is going to sound totally fucking dopey as shit, Jeff, but between you and me as guys, a piece of uh, research came out in the 2000s, I want to say like 2005, something like that, where they had interviewed whatever thousand, whatever women, trying to determine the body type that the bulk of them like. And And it was established that uh, the majority, I don't know what that majority was, if it was a 60% or an 80% or whatever, but the majority preferred a guy's body that was slightly above average. Now, I I don't really even recall what that means, how they defined average or above average or slightly above average. I don't recall that, but the way it registered in my head was I'm putting in all this fucking work for nothing. Wait, wait a minute. Much. So after slightly above average, it's just unnecessary. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I started taking it a bit less seriously, but anyway, um, yeah, I get that though. It doesn't have to be perfect, but the notion that I always have to be better implies that I'm not just good enough the way I am. That I'm not, yeah. yeah. And what we discover, and if I'm not good enough as I am, then I'm not going to stand up for myself in a relationship. I'm going to overgive to make up for my own securities because I'm sure at some point you're going to see how shitty I am or how I'm fatty or how I'm just not, my career's not good enough or whatever it is. And so we're constantly overgiving. I got to win it. I got to win the love, make them love me, basically. So let me ask this question, Jeff. You said you 70% like you. The 30%, uh, the biggest thing is not comfortable in your own skin because of that mentality still from childhood. So, uh, again, take a deep breath. Maybe even close your eyes. No one can see you. Um, and riddle me this. Do you love you? Yes, hmm. I do. And just for the sake of being thorough, what percent do you love you?
0: Oh, I love myself 100%.
1: Wait a minute. wait a minute. you just Absolutely. got done telling do. me you're okay, go ahead, no, you I, want to say something. Go ahead.
0: I, do, I love myself because I know what I'm doing in the process that I'm undergoing mm-hmm. and who I'm becoming.
1: And what? I miss that.
0: I'm just not in the process that I'm undergoing to get, get there.
1: So you are so in I the probably, process or you're not in the process presently.
0: I am in the process, you know, still diving headfirst into this, taking a step back from everything else and just focusing solely on me. I love that. And I love how I'm doing that. Uh
1: And let me ask you this, what's the hardest part? And I, and I'm, I never push clients to take action. If I have to push you, then we're forcing it. It's got to be from an inspired place. But let me ask you this. Um, If I were, let's do a hypothetical. If I were to push you to take one year off, From women. And I know you're thinking, there's no fucking way I'm gonna do that. But if you were to choose that, if you were to choose it, even if I didn't push you, if you were to choose that, what would be the single hardest part about being alone? Because you just said, hey, I I like the becoming thing. I like diving into my shit, but still you're being alone. And we've established before when you're alone, you know, some of those voices come up saying, see, I'm not lovable. I'm alone. I'm alone. And, And it's almost like I need someone to pacify that voice inside of me to make that voice go away I need a love source even if she just gives me a little little bit into my love cup just a little bit oh, oh now those voices go away what would be the hardest part about being alone and not having someone near to pour love into your love cup what would that what would be the hardest part
0: so like you've talked about I've already established plenty of hobbies to fill up my own love cup I don't know what else I can find to fill it up myself.
1: Okay. Well, then it's potentially the other side. As you recall from my book, The Exercise Diamonds and Raw Sewage, that there are the things that give us energy, not just make us happy, but give us energy. And it's about playing with that list so that it's not necessarily always increasing, but so that it's always giving us energy, that you're doing the things that give you energy and being the person that gives you energy. But there's also that raw sewage list. And that requires the saying no to the people places things beliefs that suck the energy out of me if you were to name the biggest thing in your life presently either internally or externally that is sucking the life out of you what would you say it is women <laughs> and and as a uh, whole. say more women as a whole okay say more
0: trying to make relationships work and not allowing things to happen that feeling like I have to be in control all the fucking time.
1: Right. And what do you feel the reason is that you have to be in control? If you're not in control, then what?
0: Cause I saw the chaos growing up where if I wasn't in control, the, the gates of hell would open up.
1: And, uh, and also in this case then, so you fear the gates of hell open up. You th- fear things around you, you turn to chaos. What is the biggest way that things would turn to chaos or the worst thing that would happen in a relationship if you don't control it and make it happen and force it to happen? What will happen?
0: I'll end up back alone again if exactly. I'm not in exactly.
1: charge. Right. That and, vicious circle. Right. And that control is driven by fear. The fear of the gates of hell opening up, so to speak. The fear of her leaving you is what's driving you to control. You're not at the point yet where I can let go of control, where I can live with an open hand, pursuing what I want, but also letting go. Um, But that also means, let me ask you this, to what degree were you honest? What percent were you honest in your relationship in terms of saying to her, especially in the small stuff, when she hurt your feelings, or when you want, when you had a need, or when you had a want, what percent were you good in your last two failed relationships at naming your wants and naming your feelings, particularly when they were small?
0: Oh, at the start, I was an absolute mute.
1: Hmm. So you got better as the relationship went on?
0: Yeah, we started talking more and reciprocated, opening up through things.
1: You know. Okay. Just out of curiosity, in the last relationship, how long did the relationship last? about a year, a year. And in the beginning you were a mute. How many months were you a mute?
0: Probably three or four months. And then we had a disagreement and I didn't like the way she handled it. So I started, you know, we had one of uh, our first few disagreements started laying down some boundaries and started the snowball effect there.
1: <laughs> Come on, man. I love this story. And I, the reason I love this story is because life spanked you. It said, don't yeah. be a fucking mute. Don't be a mute. I mean, yes, you get to keep the yeah. girl when you're a mute, right? She stays. Oh, she likes it when I don't put my needs, when my wants, my feelings out there. She loves that. But once I matter, she's like, wait, no, you don't matter. Go away, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so the grand lesson in all of this is what?
0: Just do that from the fucking get-go.
1: Right. For the very least, at the very least, because then you'll save a year of realizing, oh, man, it didn't work. At least now, if I put my nuts out there, say what I want, I'll know in the first day, in the first week, in the first month, if she wants another day or week or month. Right? Yeah. But it takes chutzpah. Takes chutzpah. All right? To do that. Because the fear is that if I put out there what I want, what I need... She'll walk away. But here's the question, Jeff. If you did all that work on yourself for two years, how did you come into a relationship a mute? That's
0: a good question. I don't have an answer.
1: Well, let me take a pokey-poke at it. You said you had two failed relationships, a couple failed relationships, right? Yeah. That implies that you had one before this one. This one was a year. You came in as a mute. Three to four months later, you find your voice and shit starts going south a snowball effect okay so but that means you had a relationship before that how long was the relationship before that
0: that one it's
1: about 6 months 6 months and if you were to characterize mute and uh vocal as the two choices in the subsequent in the relationship after this we know you did went mute for 3 to 4 months then you became vocal in this first relationship that was 6 months how much were you mute? How much were you vocal? Give me the months or the days or whatever.
0: All the way in that time. You were vocal from all the way? That very first one after the divorce, absolutely.
1: Okay, so you're vocal from zero to six months. Why did that relationship end?
0: <laughs> I was never told. I
1: don't know. Fair I enough. Just it ended. It ended. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, did you grieve and you know mourn oh, and, yeah. and journal it out? Good, good man. Oh, yeah. And then you but you went in. Then it's almost as if then going into this next relationship, you reverted back to old Jeff. Is that yeah. safe to say? And is it? And w- tell me if this is accurate or not, Chet. I was vocal in in the six month long relationship. Got my ass handed to me. It clearly didn't work because she left me. So I'm going to go back to being who I was because I don't like the idea of being left. I don't like the idea of being alone. Surely, if I go back to being who I was where I give everything, then she'll stay and it'll work. Somewhere might it have registered that way inside of you, deep inside you? Or what, what was the reason you went mute at the beginning of the relationship?
0: I don't know. I didn't think of it that way, but that makes perfect sense. That you were probably
1: probably coming in with your tail between your legs. Nothing wrong with that. You you were grieving and so forth. But you came into the relationship still sort of having not uh, healed from that relationship, having not fully grieved, almost I need something and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it work sort of thing. So is it, okay. Do you understand uh, or see then, not do you understand, that sounds fucking condescending, but do you see how not putting your needs out there and not putting your feelings out there when somebody hurts your feelings, hey, that hurt. You know You know what? Honestly, sweetheart, I need you to apologize for that. That just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Well, no, no, blah, blah, blah. I, I just need you to apologize. And if they don't, thank you. You just taught me a lesson. I don't want this relationship. But do you see how my not putting my needs out there or my wants or when you've hurt my feelings, I'm the underlying message is, I'm weak. I'm a weak person because I'm afraid to express. I'm afraid to put my, out there how I feel. So many people think that strength is always just what, oh, I can take it, I can take it, I can take it, right? Yeah. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. If she didn't apologize, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, wait till that adds up a while. It took you three months before that added up and you started to find your voice again.
0: So that shit got real heavy,
1: real quick. Exactly. And and think about what a blessing that was that here you were roughly 30 years old and three months in, you already realized it. So it's not going three years anymore. It's not going a year and a half or or six years that you're realizing it sooner. That's awareness and that's good. That is a sign of progress on your part because if I'm aware of what's going on around me, what's going on inside of me, and I'm catching it sooner, and eventually what happens, Jeff, is we catch it while it's happening in real time. We realize, oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not honoring my needs right now. And I'm not honoring them by standing up. I need to stand up and say, you're not honoring my needs. I need you to apologize, whatever. But then we start, we get so good at it. We start to see it before it happens. Oh, I'm starting to get afraid to put my fear out there. I know in this situation, it's gonna happen. We've uh, Susie and I have been through this scenario before. We start to see it happen before it happens the better we get at naming our wants and our needs. And this is what they talk about in sports. The game starts to slow down. You start to see shit before it happens. All right, so the fact that you caught that at three to four months, that's huge, my man. That is huge. Um, But ultimately, what has to happen here, Jeff, is that A, you have to go in and you need to grieve the shit out of both these relationships because there's still pain there. And if there's still pain from there, but especially from the past, that's going to create fear in you and you're going to try to control stuff. And the truth is, the truth is if you don't like things, you know, gates of hell opening and stuff spinning out of control in a relationship or someone leaving you, if you don't love that or like that, that's okay. But that also means once it starts to go there, well, then that's a good indicator this isn't the relationship for me. I don't want that kind of chaos in my life. You're a lady, you're a lovely person, but you're not the person for me. So let me ask you a question Jeff, if you were to sum up in one sentence or less, whether it was spoken or unspoken, explicit or implicit, what would you say the single biggest message is that you got from your ever-loving mother as a child about you?
0: Implicitly, that I didn't matter, no matter what
1: I did. And fundamentally, how was that conveyed?
0: That even if I just sacrificed everything it still wasn't enough
1: isn't that fascinating and yet you're still trying to play that scenario out as an adult it's in a way and i'm not being trying to be a jerk but you didn't learn the lesson that even if i do everything it's still not enough and you're relearning that lesson so why don't i instead do the amount that feels good to me just out of curiosity uh your dad left you then presumably left your mom
0: yeah my dad was never really in the picture. He was an alcoholic, drug addict, extremely abusive. I watched domestic abuse for the first 12 years of my life.
1: Oh, so he so was he,
0: around. Yeah, I saw. So he was the worst kind of father you can imagine, but I spent most of the time with my grandfather. Got it. And he was born in 35, just a good old boy. Didn't graduate school, but built a, built a house, raised three kids type of thing.
1: That's your grandpa? Just the perfect... World War II era, man. It's beautiful. But the downside is from your father, you got a confirmation of the message your mother was sending. He sent the same message. You don't matter. You don't matter enough for me to stop picking up the bottle. You don't matter enough for me to calm the fuck down. Yeah. Right? And if you're 31, your parents can't be that old, which means you were probably raised in the... 90s something like that so and self-help self-care was fully strong by then we're not talking about the 1940s so you got the message conveyed by the two most powerful people in your life that you didn't matter and so uh last question i gotta ask to you to no one else not your kids not mom dad grandpa no one else not to your boss anyone else but to you do you matter just be honest. I do now. Hmm. Why?
0: Because I I can see now what I'm capable of.
1: Wait a minute. That implies that your <laughs> your your mattering is tied up in what you're capable of doing. Well, with my own life for myself. Do you, okay. Yeah. And as you are, as you stand today, as a guy, do you matter to you? Yeah. To you. Yeah. All right. It's me, taking me a long time to get to that yes.
0: A long fucking time to get to that yes.
1: Beautiful. And the truth is, Jeff, the the thing you got to understand—you've probably heard me explain this before—is that there are three things you got to consider when it, whether it comes to flare-ups in a relationship or times when I inside myself stumble, start beating up on myself again. You got to consider three things. Think of that heart monitor, you know, in the in the shows, Marcus Welby or whatever the ER or the TV shows. Beep. Yeah. If you're talking about, like, let's say, flare-ups in a relationship or those times when you're feeling down yourself, each one of those times is a beep, beep, okay? And so how long that beep lasts, maybe it's a beep, how long that uh, flare-up between you and your girlfriend lasts. Let's say in the past it would last a month. She'd be pissed. We'd be pissed at each other for a month. So it'd be this long beep, okay? But we've gotten better and so this duration. Now it only lasts a week the fight. Or we've gotten it to the point where our fights only last a day. Or you know what, we've gotten to the point where the duration really only lasts like an hour and then we come back, we talk it out. So there's the duration. And if the duration is getting shorter in a relationship, the fights, or in your case, those downtimes of really beating up on yourself, if those are getting shorter, that's progress. We don't always have to be fully there. But there's a second thing besides progress, intensity. So I was you know, in a relationship where we just yell and scream at each other, and the intensity of our fights was so bad. But we worked on stuff, and we talked stuff out more, talked stuff out more. And after, let's say, a year, our intensity had been cut in half. We still had fights, still had arguments, still said stupid stuff we had to apologize for. But it wasn't as crazy. And then over time, it was less. Well, it's the same with those flare-ups when we're down. That it, The downtime... Isn't maybe quite as intense. The more we do that inner work of flushing out the pain, the more, the less intense it is. So there's duration, there's intensity, and there's frequency. Frequency. So we just saw that the duration of you being mute in that relationship was three months. That's a significant improvement for you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, but you said now in this time of you being down from the loss of these two relationships, it's as bad as my divorce. So that says the intensity of this downtime is, is pretty bad, right? Yeah, it was. Oh, it was good. Okay. So the intensity is reducing and the more, and the more we have these downtimes, we get more used to them. We know how to pull ourselves out of them and so forth. So that intensity decreases. And then the last thing is frequency. How often they happen because you're going to have down times. You're going to have times in your life where you know life is kicking your butt, or you're just feeling beaten up on yourself. We all have them, but is it decreasing in intensity, in frequency, and in duration? That's the question. And what I've heard you say multiple times today is, "I've done the work in the past, and when I do it, it works, and it re- reduces that duration, reduces the intensity and the frequency, and so you know what you got to do." And it's keep going into that stuff. Uh, uh, this is my final question, actually, Jeff. And it's simply this. When when you read There's a Hole in My Love Cup, did you do the exercises in the book? Yeah. Okay. And uh, because that would be my encouragement is to go back into those in light of and taking into account these relationships, but particularly taking also into account abandonment and the fear for you inside of the abandonment, but also... Uh, being a relationship camel and the fear inside of that. In other words, what you need to be really journaling on most is what the hell am I afraid of? Where does that come from? Why am I so afraid? And it's okay to be afraid, but it's your fears that are causing you to neglect yourself and go mute in relationships and not stand up. And it's trusting that I'll be loved. And if it's not this person, that's okay. If it's not this person, that's okay. But the day is going to come when it'll be the right person. And until then, I enjoy uh this state of of living on my own do you think that's something you you're capable of
0: oh absolutely
1: okay let me ask i've been
0: you. doing that it's just been me gym video games playing with my kids working like i know i'm fine
1: that's good but still those voices and the ruminating and stuff right yeah and that's where you need to be writing it out just keep flushing it out you got to cuz otherwise it'll tumble around in your head and just keep tumbling and tumbling and tumbling got to keep writing that out. How are you with journaling?
0: I'm great. My favorite part's burning the damn
1: paper. When I get done, I hear you. I hear you. You send
0: that to oblivion and forget and move on.
1: I love it. And then if later that day I I need to journal again, then you journal some more and tomorrow morning and you just keep doing it. Keep flushing, keep flushing. Jeff, you've been a great guest. I want to thank you for being on the show and opening up. I love hearing about guys that are, you know, real givers, but who also are finding their own voice. And so they've, they're bringing in the strength in the relationship too, but there are also these just wonderfully generous men. I just, I, you're my kind of guy, Jeff, thank you so much for thank what you. you're doing and who you are in the world. But thank you especially for coming on the show.
0: I'm happy I could be on the show. I was surprised to see it.
1: Well, it's good to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate it. You betcha. And to everyone who's tuning in from around uh, the world, thank you so much for listening in. I know we ha- enjoyed having Jeff on. Uh, Casey, any thoughts or Rob questions, thoughts?
2: I think a large part of your problems now are that you haven't found the right woman. You know, you haven't found somebody that's willing to give back to you. And I think that's going to change because you seem like you are starting to have some self-worth and, and you're going to start demanding that people treat you the way you deserve to be treated the way that you treat them. I wish you luck in that.
1: Thank you. Casey, what do you think the role is in him being alone and learning to be alone in terms of loving himself? Will it be helpful for him to be alone in order to better love himself? Definitely. What was the, in your life, what's been, what was the biggest thing you got out of being alone in terms of loving yourself?
2: I think just relaxing into the idea that I was going to be alone was the hardest part. Just saying to myself, you know what? Life is long. I don't need to rush into another relationship there are always gonna be men there and I'm just gonna relax into being alone. And 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 in that time that I did that, I did what you're doing now. You know, I bought a bunch of books, uh, I journaled, you know, I just tried to work on myself and, and be with my kids and, and work on my business. And uh, I think all of that just takes you having the mindset to dedicate that time and realizing that you're not running out of time there are always going to be a bunch of wonderful women there waiting for a man that is willing to give to them the way that you are i mean you're a hot commodity <laughs> you know good women look for for good men and uh, you just have to you know sharpen up your picker <laughs> <laughs>
1: In other words, get that wanna, fear out of there. Go ahead, Jeff. What? I want
0: to backpack off of what you guys said. I've learned this, listened to you guys a lot, is realizing I'm only fucking
1: 31. That's it. I have a lot of time left. <laughs> but when you're 31, you don't feel like it's like, oh, I'm getting older. But it's just like, you really are. And I'm glad
3: you see that. Rob, any thoughts? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I take back what I said at the beginning of the show. Jeff's a real grown up. And I uh, I appreciate that <laughs> mm, about him. Mm. Somebody uh, who was watching the live stream said, amazing, it's like you're talking to me. That's mm. a compliment to you, Sven, of course. And to Jeff for having the courage to open up. Oh, yeah, both. And um, I also thought, wouldn't it be nice if parents could just be responsible and let kids be kids and be supportive about it? Right. Wouldn't that be lovely?
1: But also, yeah, and also that I like what Jeff said, that when I show up, my kids are just happy to see me that it's not always the having all the toys and they have to be in every sport and they have to this. And all the kid wants is to hang out with the parent and, you know, throw a ball and sit and play with a bug and go have a picnic yeah. next to the river. You so, know,
3: parents, could you please be there? Yes, more
1: being and maybe Did, less doing. Okay. What's that, Jeff? Put the phone down. Amen amen it's not just the kids that need to put down the phones we need to put our own and i'm i'm guilty of that that's for sure jeff thank you so much for being on the show and to all our listeners around the world thank you for tuning in on behalf of my team rob and KC, i'm sven erlinson thanks and have a kick-ass day
0: the badass counseling show is strictly copyrighted no copies may be made without the express written consent of the badass counseling show llc the Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.